Thanks for listening to the Rebuilder Seattle Seahawks podcast with me, Rob Staten. Every year, I have the pleasure of interviewing Tony Pauline of the Pro Football Network. For me, Tony is a symbol of the draft, just as much as Mel Kuyper is, for example. A consistent breaker of news, a projector of talent to match the best around, and an engaging and interesting personality who brings the draft to life every single year. Sit back and enjoy our conversation. Tony, this is a conversation I look forward to most every single year, right before the draft. Speaking to the best draft insider in the business, a man who makes the draft a year-long interest for those of us who slightly obsess about it. How do you find this period of time, a week before the draft begins? Presumably, it's a very busy time for you. Actually, it's not as busy as, let's say, February and March, because the busiest time, the craziest time of year is March, because I'm getting a lot of, I got to do tons of reports, I'm finishing up the reports, and it's pro day month. And, you know, with Pro Day Month, sometimes there's six, seven Pro Days going on in a single day, so it, it can be out of control. Now it's just, it's sort of a waiting game because <clears throat> this past weekend, you know, you had three holidays. You had Easter, you had Passover, you had Ramadan, and most of the franchise offices were closed. So now teams are just finishing up their final draft meetings, and tomorrow, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, it'll be just make phone calls and see what breaks, see what happens try and get as much <clears throat> updated information. I mean, the boards and everything are just about complete. The reports are out there. It's just a matter of, <clears throat> you know, what is the latest breaking news across the league, which will start to come out later this week. I, at this time of year, Tony, there's kind of two things that, that excite me the most when I'm on Twitter. And that is, you know, when, when Adam Schefter posts something that's got a picture of Russell Wilson and says breaking news underneath, and that was pretty interesting. But also it's when Tony Pauline tweets something, you know, there's going to be some good information here. So I'm looking forward to seeing what you've got for us over the next few days. But I have to ask, have you heard anything on, on the Seahawks, you know, in terms of what their plans may be? What is the chatter uh, around the league regarding Seattle? Well, it's, the chatter is they're going to try and trade down and, and get extra selections. I mean, you know, they hopped into the top 10 with the trade for Russell Wilson. The thing about the Seahawks is you never know. I, I mean, it always seems that they're going one direction. And at the last minute when they're, you know, they make their choice, they, they swerve in a direction that no one really knew about. I mean, we've been saying for the longest time, offensive linemen, defensive linemen, and they never seem to take offensive linemen. Uh, anyway, so the word right now, the word that I've been hearing is that they're going to try and trade down. Whether that's possible, who knows? We'll, we'll find out more later this week and ultimately uh, a week from tomorrow. If they move, let's say, into the middle of the first round, who are some of the players that would provide good value in your mind that kind of fit what they need, which is quite a lot of things right now. You know, I think an offensive lineman like Tyler Smith is their type of player. If they want to go offensive tackle, they'd have to move into the twenties, the big offensive tackle from Tulsa, who I believe is going to be a late first round choice. He's a guy that people feel you can start off at guard and then you can, as he develops into a tackle, you know, if they move into the mid first round, are they looking at a quarterback there? Are they looking at a Malik Willis type there, or a Matt Corral um, that they could develop? I think the edge rushes will be off the board. I think maybe a, uh, a cornerback like a Trent McDuffie out of uh, Washington would also be a consideration, depending on how far they're a they trade down, if it, they're able to trade down at all. I don't think there's going to be a huge market <clears throat> in the top 10 for teams uh, that are, you know, making a make, making a looking to make a move I'll say what the Chicago Bears did last year and 
when you sort of look at the, the the make with the eight, let's say that they have to stay at nine. You know, what what can we expect in the first eight picks? Is it going to be we see the four pass rushes go early? Because I think a lot of Seahawks fans, when the trade was made with Russ Wilson, they were kind of hoping a good pass rush is going to be there at number nine. But are they going to be gone, the top four? And everyone knows who the top four are by now. Two or three offensive linemen, a source gardener, maybe a receiver. You know, what what is that the, the first eight going to look like, do you think? I think all four pass rushers, the, the being Trayvon Walker, Aiden Hutchinson, Kayvon Thibodeau, and, and Jermaine Johnson will be off the board. I think the three top offensive linemen, Evan Neal, Ikea Kwanu, and uh, uh, Charles Cross of Mississippi State will be off the board. You know, I, I think Ahmad Gardner should be off the board, but what is Atlanta going to do at eight? I mean, they could take a receiver. Kayvon Thibodeau could fall, uh, depending on, on what the teams think of him. I think he's he's ripe for the Houston Texans. That's a good spot. If he's there at nine, I think that's a great pick for Seattle. I, I think in the best case for C, best case scenario for Seattle, one of those receivers fits in at number eight. Because if a receiver fits in at number eight, it means that Gardner could fall to them. It means that uh, Thibodeau could fall to him. It means outside shot that one of the offensive linemen falls to him. Uh, if, if one of the receivers like Garrett Wilson is selected by the Falcons, I think the uh, Seahawks will be staring at a good player that fits a need. And I, and I don't want to throw other people's mocks at you, Tony, but there's, there's kind of like in the last 24 hours, there's been a series of mocks that have suddenly had Evan Neal at number nine. ESPN have, have published three mocks in a row now that have Evan Neal at number nine. And, and then NFL.com had one yesterday, which had him going number eight. For fans who are getting their hopes up that Evan Neal is going to potentially make it to number nine, what is the reality of that potential? I think, first of all, where does Ikea Kwanu go? I mean, I'm hearing potentially Houston number three, and I know for a fact he's in the conversation with the Jets at four. If a Kwanu goes with one of those picks... I don't think there's any way that uh, Evan Neal uh, lasts uh, to the Seattle Seahawks selection because the Giants will take uh, Evan Neal. And I think the uh, Carolina Panthers are going to take Charles Cross. Uh, I think it's a very slim possibility that that does happen. He'd be great value at number nine. Again, if you're a Seahawks fan and you're hoping for that, you want a Quano to be either the third or the fourth player off the board and the Giants... Uh, uh, I'm sorry. You want either you want the you want the pass rushers to go for uh, top four because then the Giants would be sitting there at five to take Quanu, Carolina Panthers six, Charles Cross, and then I think the, there's a chance that Evan Neal falls uh, to the Seahawks at nine. One of the players who's had a really meteoric rise is, is Jermaine Johnson. Yeah. What 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 kind of range are we seeing for him? Because I think initially he was one of the players who maybe. People were thinking, well, Seattle might be able to get him, might even be able to trade down and get him. And now it looks as if that, whoa, he's he's well out of range. Now, where's he going to go, do you think? And, and the reason is he had a good senior season after transferring from Georgia to Florida State. He had an outstanding senior ball. They couldn't block him. And he has a good combine. So people are looking at this guy as, you know, someone who's an outstanding pass rusher. And before the league went quarterback crazy and started reaching for quarterbacks a half around before they should have gone, it was the impact defensive player that was highly coveted come NFL draft time. The impact defensive player, left tackles and cornerbacks. And that's what Jermaine Johnson is. 
Uh, if pass rushers go one, two, three, I think Jermaine Johnson is fourth off the board to the New York Jets because the Jets are in desperate need of a pass rusher. They haven't solved that problem since John Abraham left for free agency. Uh, if he's not, if he somehow slides, I could see the Giants maybe taking him at number five if they don't uh, five or seven. I, I don't. I think it's going to be a real, a real uh, tough haul for him to fall to number nine uh, where the Seattle where the Seahawks are. How does the league view Trevor Penning as he as he goes into this draft? I mean, there's been some chatter about him going to uh, Seattle at nine. He is a big, tough, nasty offensive tackle. He is hands down the four. He solidified himself as the number four tackle in this draft after the guys that I just mentioned. Uh, everybody knows him, or most people know him from the senior ball, where he was trying to bury people's heads into the ground uh, every single play. Probably went over the top with that. But when you watch him, he's always been a real good offensive tackle. Even though it's a lower level of competition, I suggest to people, you know, who are interested and want to find out more about him, watch the Iowa State film. Because while Iowa State has a terrific pass rusher, a guy by the name of Will Daniels, who's going to be an early pick in the 2023 draft. And, and Penning did a good job. I mean, he's big. He's fundamentally sound. We saw his nastiness at the senior world, but he's also methodical. I don't know that he's going to be able to handle the left tackle spot in the NFL. I like him much better at right tackle with his run blocking power powers and the, the fact that he doesn't have great range off the edge. He's not a real mobile guy. That's the way I like my left tackles. But I think he's a guy who is going to be starting quickly into his rookie season. And I think he's got all the tools to be, have a long career as an NFL starter. A year ago, we saw Elijah Vera Tucker go number 14 overall. Jets traded up for him, Tony. Is it possible that teams could view Zion Johnson in that, maybe not necessarily as high as number 14, but in that same similar kind of range? Is it possible? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I don't know that it's probable. I mean, listen, <laughs> how many people thought that uh, Chris Lindstrom was going to be a top 15 pick, what, three or four years ago, uh, a former Boston College offensive lineman, and he's panned out very, real well. I mean, I, I think the range for Zion Johnson is probably more 18 to 25. Could he, could he get into that middle section or pick around 14, 15? I mean, sure, anything's possible. He's got great versatility, uh, was a successful left tackle at Boston College, then moved into guard and was terrific this year at guard, played some center during the senior bowl. I mean, a lot of people were surprised that Zion Johnson bypassed the 2022 draft, took that extra year of eligibility offered to players by the NCAA, but it's worked out for him because he, he's checked all the boxes and he's shown a lot of improvement. So I don't, you know, I don't think it's going to happen, but it absolutely is a possibility. What do you make of this quarterback class, Tony? There's been a lot said about it. You know, how would you assess it now that we're a week away? I'm always uh, very conservative on the quarterbacks. And these guys just don't, you know, don't do it for me. They have some upside. You get look at Malik Willis. You look at Matt Corral. You look at Carson Strong. I mean, these are guys with high upside, but also a lot of risk. These are guys that are going to need a lot of work on their game, you know, to, to before they're truly NFL ready. You look at Kenny Pickett. Comes off a terrific senior season. I love when quarterbacks have great final years on the college field before they enter the draft. He's done that. I don't know if he's a true franchise quarterback or if he's a game manager for the next level. Plus, 
you know, this, he's got the small hands. He had the hands that were what eight and a quarter, eight and an eighth inches at the combine and was another eighth of an inch larger during his pro day. And that does matter. I mean, if you were at senior world practices on Wednesday in the pouring rain, the ball was coming out funny. So, I mean, I like Kenny Pickett. I just don't think he's a guy that's going to carry a, a, an offense on his shoulders at the next level. Uh, Desmond Ritter, he's got all the physical skills. He's a smart guy, but the accuracy really concerns me. And I'm not talking about statistical accuracy. I'm talking about the pass placement. You watch Desmond Ritter throw the ball. Receivers are always leaving their feet. They're adjusting backwards to catch the passes. He misses wide open receivers. And that's something that can be very tough to teach. Sam Howell's a solid quarterback, but he's got limitations. He's got a decent arm. He was one of the most consistent passers at the senior bowl. Was not good in 2021, but when you watch the film, it was not as bad as everyone made it out to be. But he's small. He's not a pocket passer, and he's not, not a super mobile guy. So you've got limitations with Sam Howell. And then, you know, with Carson Strong, um, you know, clearly very talented. Yeah. Uh, clearly also bothered by the, the knee. Um, where do you expect him to go? Because I suspect with without the knee issue, we could be talking about him in a, in a we'd be talking about him a, a lot more than we perhaps have been over the last few months. Yeah, maybe. I, I don't think Carson Strong has had a good lead up to the draft. I, I mean, I was one of the first ones at Carson Strong. And two years ago, I predicted that he would be the next quarterback for the Mountain West to be a first round pick. The problem with Carson Strong is twofold. Number one, that offense in Nevada really didn't develop him as a passer. And his game seemed to level off. He never really improved. Uh, he never really went from thrower to passer. I mean, he's he's got a huge arm. He's one of the best arm talents we've seen at the quarterback position in the draft for a long, long time. But he seems too happy or, or too content with just trying to chuck the ball down the field as far as he can, rather than develop an array and an arsenal of passes. So he's got the size. You know, the knee is going to be an issue for some teams, as we I've been reporting at Pro Football Network literally since uh, October, I think the biggest concern or my biggest concern with Carson Strong is after watching him perform as a redshirt freshman in Nevada when he took over for a guy, the starter who was injured, and then the starter eventually transferred because he realized he was never getting his job back from Carson Strong. He just never improved his game as a passer, and, and that was concerning to me. I, I think maybe... I had high expectations or higher expectations of Carson Strong than most people. And I was just disappointed in him uh, with his uh, senior bowl performance, as well as his uh, combine workout. Bonus quarterback question. What are your expectations for Will Levis next year? Uh, you know, I, I mean, he's, he's got a decent arm. He, he, he can make all the next level passes. I think with quarterbacks, you have to see progress in their game because you don't want to get a quarterback that's coming off a down year. That's always a dangerous thing. So I think that Levis uh, has got a lot of upside. Is he am I rating him as a top 45 prospect? Not at this point in time. I think he did, did himself a good thing by going back for another year. Uh, I wanted to ask you about three sort of random players. Um, what kind of a range can we expect for Channing Tindall? He seems to have had a very good draft season. Cam yeah. Jurgens, equally, had a very good draft season. And the running back, Damian Pierce, who you've been suggesting recently, could go higher than maybe some people are projecting. Yeah, I, I like Channing Tindale a lot from Georgia. Uh, he's a, a fierce run and chase linebacker. He can make plays up the field. Didn't have the greatest workout, but he plays fast. He shows excellent range. I think he's a guy who's probably going to go in the third round. 
Jurgens is a guy who I absolutely love. I mean, I watched him as a redshirt freshman in Nebraska. At that point in time, I said, this guy is a next-level center. He didn't show a great amount of progress in his, in his game. But I've always said, I, I feel that uh, Jurgens in day two of the draft, whether it be late second round, early third round, is much better value than Tyler Linderbaum in the first round. Uh, Jurgens is bigger. Jurgens is a little bit stronger. He is as nasty, and he is as effective as a zone blocker in motion. So I expect him to go late two, early three. Damon Pierce, scouts like him a lot more than I do. And I've gotten some third round grades on him. Terrific pass catcher out of the backfield. Hardworking uh, grinder uh, on the inside. Shows good vision. I think he's more day three. I am getting third round grades on him though. And with the Jets, I think the Seahawks fans are kind of they're very interested in the Jets, mainly because of, of, of the fact that they own Seattle's original first round pick this year. Uh, I, you know, having been to Jets games and I was, at, I was at the Wembley game with the Jets last season as well against the Falcons, I'm, I'm very interested in them as well. And you being a, a Jets fan, Tony, what, what do you expect they're going to do with their two picks? And what is the feeling around the Jets going into this draft? Well, I, I mean, the feeling around Jet fans is excitement. Unfortunately, the, the Jets are always the team that wins March and April. <laughs> and then when the season comes, they, they don't. it doesn't turn into wins and losses. I think that, number one, you know, they have to solve their pass rushing problem. As I said earlier, they haven't had a, a legit pass rusher since John Abraham, who they drafted in 2000, left via free agency. They've had pass rushes here and there. They haven't had a consistent pass rusher. I think, again, that fourth picket is either going to be a guy like Jermaine Johnson or it could be Iki Aquano. I mean, I've, ter- I've heard several people in the league tell me that Aquano is, going to, is a guy that they are that is in the conversation uh, for the fourth pick uh, with, that, with, with, with the fourth pick. Uh, if they do take Aquano, I think it's probably going to be curtains from Mekhi Becton, who the coaching staff doesn't really seem to like. They like George Fant. Um, and then with that uh, second pick, I can see them taking a receiver, a guy like Garrett Wilson, maybe a Drake London. Uh, but if Garrett Wilson is there again, you know, Joe Douglas, when he came to the Jets, his first draft in 2020, they needed receivers. Here we are three drafts later, and he still needs receivers. So um, I think that second pick will be a uh, receiver if they go pass rusher. Otherwise, if somehow Ahmad Gardner slips past the Seattle Seahawks, I think that would be another consideration. A couple of final questions. Uh, all the talk at the moment is about Debo Samuel potentially yeah. being traded. That's the big news today. A lot of Seahawks fans are wondering what's going to happen with DK Metcalf. He's actually turned up to um, to the initial work with the team this week and there's been photographs looking very happy and there's no no suggestion that he's going anywhere right now. But if, if you've got a steer on what might happen with him, I've heard all along the Seahawks want to extend them. I mean, the, the, the Seahawks plan is to, even though the Seahawks are in a bit of a rebuild mold, you know, why trade a guy like DK Metcalf when you know how good he is? So uh, I've been told all along, or I've been led to believe all along that the plan for the Seahawks is to extend DK Metcalf and keep him a Seattle Seahawk, which I think is the right move. And the final question, this is a, a bit of a bugbear personally, Tony, someone who loves watching the combine, all, all of the whole thing. Is there any hope that the league sorts this event out? Because moving the bench press to the same day as the on-field drills just meant nobody did it. And, and then you look at the, the, you know, they've moved it to prime time, fair enough. But 
nobody does the, uh, the short shuttle. Nobody does the three. You have like sort of four guys within a, a position who'll do the short shuttle now, and everyone does it at the pro day instead. If the combine's going to be as good as it can be, kind of feel like don't they need everybody almost doing everything and getting all the information? And don't the teams want all of that information at the combine rather than having to wait to the pro day? Well, you know, is, is there any hope for positive change? Not if the league is involved. But it's funny you ask me, is the league going to sort out the combine? The league is the problem with the combine. The league is why we're seeing the combine really go from what was a scouting event to a, a media fest and, and a fan fest that's over the top. I've been going to the combine since 2001. I've been going to combine workouts since, since 2001. In 2001, the combine was like a KGB lockdown uh, event you could not get near it although i found the way to get to get into it um and what's happened is is the you know you have the super bowl you have the draft the league is looking as the uh, to the combine as their next piece to monetize to commercialize and, and basically keep the momentum going as far as keeping the nfl relevant in the offseason and it's the league that decided to move the workouts from the morning time to prime time. It was the league that decided to change the bench press to the day that the players are working out. So they have continual, uh, uh, continual coverage, continual network airing of combine workouts throughout the day. So it's really the league that has caused this problem. And now they're talking about moving it potentially from Indianapolis to Los Angeles, to here, to there. That's all the league's doing. And you're right. I mean, teams really don't like what's going on. They're turning it away from what it was. It was originally meant to be something to test guys medically, because what happened is before there was a combine, the top prospects would travel to all, all these different teams. And every time they went to a team, they get an x-ray. And I remember Carl Peterson, the former general manager of the Kansas City Chiefs, we had a long conversation about this. He said, by the time your top prospect would get to the eighth team, he, the eighth team or his eighth team visit, he would be glowing from all the x-rays that he took. So he said, hey, listen, let's get this all together. We'll have one x-rays. We'll share the medical information. And that's how the combine blossomed. Uh, but now it's, it's just one big media event. Uh, I agree with you. You know, uh, listen, if guys start their workouts at seven o'clock, by the time they're supposed to do the short shuttle and the three cone, it's now 10, 1030. A couple of years ago, uh, I forget the player, and I'm going to beat myself up, the kid from Navy who was the receiver and the running back, they wanted him to do uh, pass catching drills. But by that time, it was quarter to, quarter to midnight because he was in the second group of receivers that didn't start working out till 9 o'clock. So it was ridiculously late at night. So that's part of the reason why you don't see these guys do the short shuttle three cone. It's because it's getting late in the day and they sit around uh, late, late in the night and they sit around all day. To answer your question, I don't think it's going to happen because the league is going to continue to push to monetize the, uh, the, uh, the, the combine, to commercialize it. And listen, you know, remember where you hear this, what's going to happen next is the agents are going to demand appearance fees for their players to work out at the combine. I mean, as the league monetizes the combine and commercializes it and, you know, here's the, the receiver 40 yard dash brought to you by Old Spice or something like that. 
the uh, agents of the fastest guys and the top rated players are going to be like, you want my guy to work out? I want $100,000 for him because you're making all this money uh, from, from the, the TV commercials and commercializing it and, and, and all the on-air broadcasts. I think that's what's going to happen next. And you may see guys who just say, I'm not going to work out the combine. I'm going to wait till my pro day. Yeah, oh, for the halcyon days of 2011 when you could just get all the results from a combine, Tony. Look, Tony, it's been an absolute pleasure. I always look forward to this so much, Absolutely. having a chance to, to have a conversation with you. And then uh, just thank you again for, for the great content year round. And for those of us who just want to geek out on the draft, you know, every single day of the year, you are a priceless resource for us. What, what, what we, where can we find you for the next week? Obviously, Pro Football Network. You've been doing the podcast with the Giants as well, which has been very entertaining. What have you got in store for us over the next seven days? Yeah, and those Tuesday night podcasts with Trey Wingo, which have, have gone very well. We've been on top, but we've been ahead of the curve on a couple of things like the uh, Baker Mayfield story. Yeah. Uh, obviously, uh, I'll be doing two. Do we will be doing two podcasts with the Giants next week. We'll have our Tuesday show with Trey Wingo, and then we will be doing a live video cast day one and day two of the drafts uh, from up here in Westchester County, New York. Uh, which will be airing at Pro Football Network should be a lot of fun. Hopefully we will get some information before all the other networks get it, uh, but we're not going to be revealing the picks, even though we'll have them first. Perfect. Well, if you want the best uh, information on the draft, Tony is the man to follow for that. And hopefully, Tony, in some of these podcasts, they will introduce you properly with some Led Zeppelin. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> you just did it right there, brother. <laughs> 